It is such a joy to be able to have Dean and Glenn participate with us. We also have gathered in our sanctuary today a few other churches represented. We are a, a very small microcosm of all of you all that are scattered across, all y'all that are scattered across the country. And it's, it, 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 I needed to have people here in this sanctuary to represent you, to know that, that we are not just in our little bubble, but we are part of a much, much broader work of God throughout this country and around the world. I want to say a special blessing to our brothers and sisters who are tuning in on different continents than we're on right now. Um, I've, a good friend, Stephanie Black, is a TE working in Ireland, and so Stephanie, I don't know what time it is, but I hope you're doing well. Um, as we turn to scripture today, we are going to be looking at the passage that was chosen as the theme verse for General Assembly this year. It's a challenging and interesting passage, especially considering the season that we're in, the season of COVID in the midst of 2020. But God has good plans in the midst of it all. So let's turn to our passage. We'll start with a reading from 2 Corinthians, and then we'll turn over to the Gospel of Mark. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting with verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I could not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who have been, are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. And turning over to the Gospel of Mark, this is Mark chapter 8. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For, for what can man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he, when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Holy God, we come before you, humble servants nothing of our own to offer. Lord, we pray that you would open this word to us. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, give us hearts that understand not just what we want to understand, but hearts that understand the things that break the heart of God. Break our hearts, Lord, today across our nation 
that we may be the fragrant aroma of Jesus Christ to this broken world. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So what does it look like to have a triumphal procession? We have all kinds of images and ideas in our own heads, but Paul meant something very specific when he said that Christ is leading us in a triumphal procession. A triumph was something that the Romans did. It was a little bit like a, a New York ticker tape parade, but it had a lot of, of formality to it. We know a lot about triumphs because they were a favorite thing to carve on a pillar or a, a, an arch or, or other things to, to commendate the incredible military leaders that had just conquered a new land. Right before 2 Corinthians was written, the most recent triumph in Rome had been when they celebrated the conquering of, of Britain. Later, the, one, the next one after 2 Corinthians was written was to celebrate the complete destruction of Jerusalem. These parades were not very common. They were saved for the, the biggest victories, and the parades almost had a liturgy of the, their own. They started with the senators and the, the, the important people, the governors and the, the, the politicians of the time. Then they would have a whole array of, of scenes displaying the, the victory that was accomplished, the, the places that were conquered, the loot that they captured. And then following that, you would have the captives. You would have the kings arrayed in their finery. The finer the robes of the kings, the more glory it brought to the victor. They would be arrayed in all of their finery, followed by the, the, the people behind them, the other governors and leaders, and, and those who were captured as part of this conquest. They would be led followed and followed by the man of the hour, the triumphator. The triumphator was the one, the conquering general, the one for whom all of this glory was being done. This parade would go all throughout Rome, and it would get to the end. And those who were captives, many of them would be sacrificed at the end. That would be their end. They were captives unto death. As, as all of this happened, we see this incredible victory parade, but when we read this passage, we have to ask ourselves, okay, who does Paul see himself as in this parade? Which one is Paul? It's very interesting to, to read about this and to discover that there's been an argument about this passage for centuries. Are we supposed to be victors in the triumphal procession or are we captives? As we look at this passage today, I would suggest the answer lies in the answer to this question. When Christ went to the cross, was he a captive or was he a victor? The answer is yes. He was a captive unto death, but a death that did not lead to despair. It was a death that led to victory and final triumph. And he is inviting us to walk in that path, in his footsteps. Paul says in Philippians, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, walking as a captive, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. As God invites us into this triumphal procession, he invites us, come and die. 
And he invites us to join with him in the final triumph when death and sin is conquered forever. Brothers and sisters, you and I are victorious captives, and God has good plans for us, even in the midst of our captivity. What year have we had in the recent memory that has been more of a captivity than 2020? It has been one thing after another after another. First, it was the lockdown as the virus began to spread, but it didn't stop there. It was the job losses. It was, it was the loss of hope. Did you know the, the suicide rate among teenagers is soaring right now? People have lost hope as they watch the rest of society crumble as the, as the divide between red states and blue states gets deeper as violence breaks out in our cities. It feels like everything that we knew that was familiar in 2019 is, is all different in 2020. As we have been looking at all of this, as we've been trying to understand who we are in the midst of it, I strongly believe that this is a season of refining fire for the church. This is a season of wilderness. We are being led as captives. Christ is leading us. He is always leading us. But this is a time of unique captivity for us, a unique wilderness period. It is hard and it is frustrating. I know all of you pastors know what this feels like. The normal things that we do as church, we haven't been able to do. And it, we, we, we feel like we, we want to break out of the restraints, but we have to continually say, Lord, your will be done. We are captive to your will. Show us what that looks like. Show us how we can live like this. Show us what you want to do. As I have been thinking and praying about this, this image, this passage, I also think about Paul, Paul's commitment to surrender even unto death. He says in the same book, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Paul is saying that we have to surrender. We have to lay our lives down, and Christ will lift them back up if we trust in him. That idea of surrender doesn't come easily for American Christians. I was, a few years ago, Rufus Smith came to Pittsburgh and preached at the Jubilee CCO College Conference for about 5,000 college students, and he almost gave Dean a heart attack when, he, when Rufus got up on stage and he said, the sermon that I've been working on for a long time, God told me to throw away about 45 minutes ago. And Dean was like, yeah. But he said, here is what God told me to tell you as college students in the United States, that, that, that you need to turn away from a spirit of independence and rebellion and submit yourself to the Lord. He used an, a, a fabulous image. He said, imagine that you're a thoroughbred racehorse. A thoroughbred racehorse is fast just by existing, but if you leave that thoroughbred racehorse in a paddock all of its life, it's never going to really know how to run. It's never going to be able to become all that it's supposed to be. Only when that racehorse submits to the trainer, only when the racehorse submits to the jockey is that racehorse going to learn how to fly. It is we as Christians who need to learn how to be captive, to surrender to our leader, to the triumphator. That is when we get to become all that Christ is calling us to be. That surrender is not defeat. 
It's freedom. We have been slaves to, to sin. Now we are slaves to Christ. And that is what sets us free to be the true believers, the true victors in the story. One of the most frustrating times I had to surrender, as Dean mentioned, I, I love the global church, and that comes from my season working with the Christian humanitarian organization World Vision. For most of my 20s, I traveled around. My, my area was in grant writing, but specifically for war zones. I traveled throughout civil war zones and, and recovery zones, working with refugees and displaced people, trying to help them have some sort of, of life and safety and security. My parents were incredibly supportive during this time. They, they went with me with just about everything that I needed to do. They were always praying for me all the time, except one time. I called my parents to let them know that I was on my way to Liberia. We had just started a, a project in Liberia and, and also one in Sierra Leone, which is next door. They're kind of on the west coast of Africa, right around here. And so I was supposed to fly into Liberia to help them work on a grant. And I told my dad what the plans were, and he said, I, I don't feel good about you going. And my 20-something-year-old brain instantly became my teenager brain, and I went, Dad. <laughs> he said, look, just call. Just call and see if there is any other way. The thing is, my dad had never once said something like that. He had always been supportive, and he... He had an incredible God radar. He was plugged in to the Holy Spirit. And so I had to trust his, his, his gut instinct, his sense that something was wrong. So I called the country director and I explained the situation, my dad said. <laughs> and then he said, well, you know, we could use you in Sierra Leone too, so why don't you fly in there, and if we need you in Liberia, we'll bring you over. So I landed in Sierra Leone on, on Good Friday evening, on Easter Sunday morning, a coup broke out in Liberia. War broke out in Liberia. The hotel that I was supposed to have stayed in was hit with rocket-propelled grenades. Some of our staff were kidnapped. And they ended up having to rescue them. The, the US military and UN forces had to evacuate our team and a lot of other expatriates out of Liberia. They brought them into Sierra Leone where I could be on the care team, receiving them, rather than in, in need of care because of trauma myself. It was because God stopped me, because God said, submit to my plan, because my dad had ears to hear. God opened up a new door for ministry for me that I would never have seen before. When God asks us to submit, when he asks us to be his captive so that we can be led anywhere he wants, it's because he has plans for our ministry. It's because he has places he wants us to go that we don't even know about. When we look at this passage, Paul is frustrated that he went to Troas and he was looking for Titus, but he didn't find him, so he went on, kept searching for him in Macedonia. But thanks be to God. Christ continues to lead us. Thanks be to God that no matter how many tosses and turns in our journey, Christ is leading us every single step of the way. And Paul knows in this passage that whatever he does to submit to God's leading is going to result in ministry. And that ministry in this passage comes in the shape of aroma. 
of a fragrance of Jesus Christ. Through us, God spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere, for we are the aroma of Christ. If you're like me, you look around at 2020 and you feel like it stinks. <laughs> I saw the funniest photo on, on Facebook. I have to share this one with you. It was a row of porta potties on fire. And it said, the caption said, if 2020 was a scented candle, <laughs> isn't that the truth? I mean, the, the virus, the pandemic thing, that stinks. The, the, the divisions of our society, that stinks. The frustrations that we're facing stink. Racism stinks. The brokenness of our society, the, the, the impact that this is having on, on poverty while it's making the wealthy even richer, it's making the poor even poorer, that stinks in the nostrils of God. But God wants us to be a completely different fragrance to that. He wants us to be the fragrance of Christ. He wants us to smell differently than anybody else around. He wants people to be able to walk by a Christian and go, okay, what is that? <laughs> and hopefully, at least some of them will say, and I want some. <laughs> Do you smell like a cinnamon roll or not? The interesting thing about this language is that it's actually language of temple sacrifice. When we think about the aroma in the triumph, there were, there were people that were spreading incense, and so there was an aroma that was going out from this grand procession. But when you look at the, in the Old Testament and search for the word aroma, aroma is almost always referring to the sacrifice, to the food offerings, to the grain offerings, to the bulls and rams and lambs that are sacrificed before the Lord. That is what becomes a pleasing aroma. Our sacrifice, our willingness to say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. That submission to the Lord turns us into a fragrant aroma. As he has our whole heart, our whole will, we become an aroma that changes the world around us. When we think about, about all of this, it, it's hard for us to who want to be in control to read this thing that says to one a fragrance from death to death and to others a fragrance from life to life we want to make as soon as somebody smells a cinnamon roll we want them to love that cinnamon roll but god we good reformed presbyterians we believe that it is god who touches their hearts we need to pray that god would give them ears to hear and eyes to see a heart that understands and a nose that can smell the pleasing aroma that is unto life. This reminds me of the, the scene in The Last Battle in C.S. Lewis's Narnia Chronicles as Lucy is, it is, has just suddenly seen the barn disappear and turn into a field of wildflowers as, as Aslan brings them into the, the final kingdom. But so she gathers a, a big bouquet of wildflowers and she sees a dwarf that had been sitting inside the barn with her. And she goes over to hand the, the flowers to him and says, can't you smell these? And the dwarf says, oh, get that straw away from me. So many in the world have hardened their hearts to God. We need to be praying and praying that God will turn that aroma, that he would open their eyes to see that it is not straw 
but that it is an incredible bouquet of flowers. God is using us to spread that aroma, but what does it take for us Christians to be a different aroma than the world? What does it take in your community? What does your church need to look like to smell differently? I, I believe a lot of it has to do with love, with grace, with turning away from words of anger and bitterness and hatred and embracing those who are different from us, those who are suffering in their own ways, to, to walk across the aisle, to love one another, to love the other, to bless those who curse us, to say you are created in the image of God and you are precious in his sight. Wouldn't that smell differently than the world that is around us right now? That is the pleasing aroma. That is pleasing to God, and it is captivating to the world as they begin to smell something different than all the stink that the world has to offer. The incredible thing is about this procession, as God leads us as captives, as he transforms us into a glorious aroma for his sake, we think about the final victory, the final victory in, in the triumphal church triumphant in, in heaven as we get there. The thing is that this is not a military parade in heaven. This is not a triumphal procession. It's a wedding procession. Brothers and sisters, you and I are the bride of Christ. You and I are being transformed from captives to the lover of someone who is most captivating. He is the one who sees us and knows us, knows everything about us, and calls us his dearly beloved sons and daughters. He is the one who looks out at us and is willing to lay his life down for us, that we may be transformed from rags into a pure and spotless bride. He is the one who I think of Esther and all of her beauty treatments, six months of, of being prepared. Imagine all the preparation God is doing right now on the church. All that he is doing to renew us and refresh us and restore us so that we might be ready. We think of the story of, of Gomer, Hosea's wife, who had, had been unfaithful to him and then God told Hosea to, to take her out into the wilderness, to strip away all the things that had been given to her and woo her back to himself. God is using this wilderness period to woo us back to himself so that we may be ready to be his pure and spotless bride. Brothers and sisters, we in the EPC sometimes can be like the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Brothers and sisters, our love is standing, waiting for us longing to draw us in. He wants us to submit to him, to surrender to him, and to know that in that captivity is the most fulfilling love we can even ever imagine. We, as brothers and sisters in this denomination, are the precious bride of Christ, 
And we are the ones who invite the world to come to the banquet. This triumphal procession will end at the wedding feast of the Lamb. And that is where we will rejoice with the one who loves us. And that is what will transform us forever and ever. And it is the, the promise of that, the reality of that, that transforms us right now. We are not waiting to be the bride. We are the bride right now. As we think about what this, this country has been like in the last few months, many, many people have lost their lives, over 180,000 six million cases of COVID. There have been three in our denomination who were high up and very involved in the national leadership team. The Revelation 7-9 task force lost a dear brother, Tim Russell, from Second Presbyterian in Memphis. Dick Osterreicher and his wife, Bobby, both passed away. Dick had been um, a, the, the director of world outreach for a long time. We know that these dear brothers and sisters are now seated at that wedding feast of the Lamb. They are in the church triumphant, and we can proclaim their praise, proclaim the praise with them, knowing that they are praising their dearly beloved bridegroom of Jesus Christ, they the bride. This week, I, I went back to the YouTube video of the, the choir from Second Presbyterian singing in front of Tim Russell's house to his wife, Kathy. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. One line captured my thoughts. Perfect surrender, perfect delight. That is what our whole life is about. It is perfect submission and perfect delight. Submission to the one who loves us more than anyone we can even imagine. The perfect delight in the bridegroom who smiles at us, the groom, at the end of the aisle, looking at us, the bride, as we come up toward him. Brothers and sisters, let us embrace that love. Let that love transform who we are. That love wash us, cleanse us, set us free, get all of the stink off of us so that we may be the pleasing aroma to proclaim the knowledge of Jesus Christ wherever we go. Amen. Let's pray together. Holy God, we thank you and we praise you that even though we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, you paid the price for us. You brought us, made us captive to your heart, to your love, because you are the captivating one. Lord, forgive us for turning to so many other things than you as our first love. Forgive us for forgetting the heart of all that we do. Lord, we pray that you would, would join now with us, pour out your Holy Spirit on us, transform our hearts, reawaken us, sleeper awake, so that we may look to you to have new, fresh love for our bridegroom. Lord, we lift up the names of those who have gone before us this year. We especially lift up the families of Tim and Dick and Bobby Lord, we thank you for their witness, for the aroma that came from their lives that lingers long after they have gone. Hear our hearts now as we think of those in our own families and congregations that we have lost this year as well. Lord, we know that the last enemy to be conquered is death. That is the last enemy that will stand against us and you have already beaten it back. And Lord, 
as we enter into your death, we will also enter into your resurrection and we will sit with you at that banquet table of the wedding feast of the Lamb and we will proclaim your praises forever and ever. And Lord God, it is because you have lavished your love on us by calling us your dearly beloved children that we dare pray today as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. <laughs>